This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. More like Aunt Drew. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I'm a bug. I got six legs. I dig around in the dirt in the ground. Yeah. That's me. Ants do have six legs. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How many legs did you think ants had? I don't know. I got kind just of... Just pop quiz hot shot. I think I just kind of <laughs> panicked and did like, wow, bugs have lots of legs. But bugs do have a lot of legs. Bugs, bugs be out here having a lot of legs. I Simon has a book <laughs> called Hello Bugs that he really likes. There's not an ant in it, though. Why not? I don't know. It's like the most common type of bug. Grasshoppers, uh, ladybugs, dragonflies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, consider the humble ant. They got segments. They can carry a lot of weight relative to an ant. Bye bye, butterfly. <laughs> Welcome to our book podcast, where every week one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. And mm-hmm. Andrew read the book for this week. I sure did. What is it? It's called "The Ant Who Wouldn't Die" mm. by Shershendu Mukhopadhyay. And yeah, it's uh, not it about was, bugs. I, not about ants. Disappointed to realize that I had. <laughs> misread uh a-u-n-t as a-n-t that's a joke i didn't do that no i don't think i knew what i knew what i knew what i knew what the book was called the whole time (laughs) sure uh and this is not a book i had heard of before and i don't think it's a book that most of like the united states had heard of pre-2020 right yeah i think yeah it, it ended up on a few like here's a good short novel list um it was translated into English for the first time in 2019, I think, and then there was a. I saw 2017, but I don't know. You know, oh, maybe it might be 2017. It was. It was. It was pretty relatively recently, but then it got featured in an NPR column in the summer of 2020. Yep, and that seems to be like most of the people who I could find who'd said something about it either mentioned that interview or that that uh, piece explicitly or it was like it was just time stamped later and i assume that it's it cascaded down from npr mentioning it yeah so, yeah i think yeah. the harper mm-hmm. publication of it came out in the states in 2020 so okay yeah so yeah knew knew nothing about it uh but the the title's grabby and then you read it and it's, it's fun it's i mean it's it's got a lot going on but it's it's there's some pretty funny stuff in here yeah actually. that's i mean the title the way it got onto our calendar is like, you know, we're interested in all sorts of books. We need to balance kind of length sometimes. And the blurbs around this one are kind of all over the place in, in like a good way. Like you see things like laugh out loud. You see a uh, feminist fairy tale. You see uh-huh. a Bengali confection. You're like, what is happening in this book? It's only 160 pages long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited to hear about it. Have a good read. I had a good, I had a pretty good read. Okay, it's a quick one. Yeah, 
Yeah. All right, cool. And then like what? Like two thirds of the way through where you put together how the like chronology of it fits. Mm, it's one of those. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the pieces lock together. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Quick uh, little dish on our friend Shoshendu. Born 1935 uh, in Bikrampur, Dhaka, present-day Bangladesh. Uh, he's a Bengali author from India. His family migrated uh, to Kolkata during the partition. And his dad worked on the railways. He said in one interview with uh, the Business Standard, quote, I came across a great variety of people traveling around with his dad. This obviously helped me in portraying a wide array of characters, the experience uh, and staying in different rural areas greatly shaped back the backdrop of my novels and stories. Um, he would go on to study at Victoria College and get his master's in Bengali from Calcutta, Calcutta University. He worked as a school teacher and a journalist, um, working in, you know, writing in Bengali in Benga. Uh, and his first story was published in this magazine Desh in 1959. And then his first novel, Gunpoka, was published soon after that. And I don't know, man, his bibliography, it's like dozens of books long. Just so mm-hmm. many books. Mm-hmm. Some of them are detective fiction. Some of them are children's literature. He won an award for his contributions to children's literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, this is like a contemporary classic. It you know, And as much as that term is useful. It is from 1993. So... Mm-hmm. Contemporary to 1993. Yes. <laughs> um, it was adapted into a film, uh, Goynar Baksha, in 2013. Uh, and he's, he's had a lot of stuff adapted to film. Um, and he's a pretty generous author in that regard. The quote I found in the Telegraph India, he said, My stories have probably been converted into cinema more than anybody else's work in Bengal. And I tell filmmakers that they're at liberty to change my story if they wish to. There's no obstinacy regarding creative ownership on my part. I have no hesitation doing this because I know nobody will read my book based on what they've seen in the film. <laughs> the book has its <laughs> own appeal and it should stay that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did say when it comes to the different styles of books that he's written, he was asked if he has a favorite and he said, no, I've written whatever has stirred me from within, but I'd like to make a clarification. I never chose to write children's or detective stories on my own. And one of his editors made me write children's fiction, he says, and something I've been doing ever since. As for detective stories, uh, the one editorial team I worked with made me write them. So I really like that, you know, like pot boiler, pot boilers, that's the term, yeah, that's right? The term. Pretty, <laughs> that are written uh, to like the specifications of a market or just kind of a universal literary across thing. the world. Yeah, everybody mm-hmm. wants people to like it makes it makes sense that it would be that way. It's yep. just fun to, to <laughs> hear, see and hear the evidence of it. Um, this translation, Andrew, was by Arunava Sinha, mm-hmm. um, who has is like one of the premier English to Bengali translators. Uh, or the other way around. Which way? Both. He does both. OK. Um, he's more uh, Bengali to English um, okay. than the reverse. He is yeah. twice the winner of the Crossword Translation Award. He was shortlisted in 2021 uh, for the United States' National Translation Award. He's a professor and like the director of a translation center at Ashoka University in, in India in Sanapat. Um, and he's, I don't know, maybe it's just our time talking with Emily Wilson, but I've like really just, I love translators, man. Like I love good, tra- I love good 
good translators who talk about translating good, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way I sort of feel about career voice actors. Mm-hmm. Not not the not when you yes. bring in yes. a real meat world celebrity to voice your like talking fish or whatever, but when, <laughs> you know, people who have been doing who do every cartoon under the sun for like 40 years, your Tress McNeils and yeah. your um, Kath Susie's and, and to, to, yeah, that those are, those are two that are just like, they're in like Futurama and Curious George. It's just like, there's nowhere like you, I'm watching Octonauts and I hear the voice of like some train car from Thomas and Thomas and friends. The, the quintessential. So I, I like knowing that they're everywhere. This and gonna, translators kind of like that too. This is going to date <laughs> me as most of my references do. Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Because what, I, what uh, mid 2000s thing well, are you about? Yes, to talk wait for about? it. Because <laughs> I can't really tell you much of the voice cast of like the Trolls movies. I know Anna Kendrick's in them. Um, was Zendaya Michi or is that a different one? Is that a troll thing or is that something is that else? A different thing. I mean, Zendaya I was Michi. She was Michi, but in what? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, but for me, the quintessential like meat space actor in an animated film, like what are we doing here, is when Dennis O'Leary, Dennis Leary was in Ice Age. He was like yeah, sure, the, sure. the saber tooth tiger in Ice Age or something. I mean, Ray Romano was the mammoth. Yeah, that, John Leguizamo was the sloth. Like they're though. all. Yeah, everybody did love Raymond, but all three of those actors were not famous for being voice actors. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Where I think like Pixar was better yeah. known for like bringing in a, a known guy to like voice the main the Toy Story person, like thing. one or I mean one or two known guys yeah. like I think Dave Foley was in Bugs Life and Albert Brooks was in Finding Nemo like I don't I think they've strayed from that formula more recently but it used to just be like oh there there'd be one one meat person and then a bunch of career voice <laughs> it actors. helps when the like movies one or are two good meat people also. yeah I mean, it helps when the movies are good. Um, I don't. I don't know anything about the Ice Age movies. Quickly, uh, Cena said, "I'm not, not going to tell a story again about how that was one of the only two movies on the portable DVD players that they had at Office Max when I was working there." But that I do know a lot about Ice Age. Okay, thanks very much. Sure. <laughs> it's like how my uh, best friend growing up, his little brother, knew every word of Free Willy because it was just on repeat in their house for years. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Seen has said uh, about just his relationship to language. This was an interview um, in 2014 on Nalanjana's Nalanjana Roy's blog. It's just nalanjanaroy.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out talking and reading very early from about four in Bangla. English took over in a rush at the age of eight, and all my reading switched to English books, but Bangla remained the language of communication with family and neighborhood friends, so I've been bilingual from childhood, but I didn't enjoy studying Bangla as a subject in school. He says he's led by books rather than authors when he's choosing like what to translate, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, for genres, I have tried and failed with campus slash first job novels and romances. Never again, I've told myself. Campus slash first job novels? I don't know I mean, what that... talking about, like, I, it, it brings to mind, like, this is, listen, this is the book that I <laughs> kind of wrote a lot of an intro fiction writing seminar, and now I just, now this is just what's that happening. That may this is how be I'm what he there. means. Yeah, I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Um, maybe he's talking about new adult fiction. I don't know. Maybe he is. <laughs> and then the last thing he was asked about being a writer himself 
and he said, uh, working as you do with excellent books, you realize just how high the bar has been set. And many of us ask ourselves, why add to the noise when there's music to be made? Which I just thought was mm-hmm. a really cool sentiment. Sure. Um, anything from his translator's note that you wanted to give a shout out to? Yeah, this is truly this is a note. It's like three paragraphs in the in the back of the book, and the and one of the parts of this I want to read. I'm going to save okay, back cool. until after yeah, yeah, we yeah. talked about some of the stuff that happens in the book. But just talking about um, the cultural gap of translating Bengali into English. Uh, he says, uh, English is still considered a language of power compared to Bengali, and in some way transferring a Bengali text into English is to automatically place its entire structure in a different position in the power hierarchy. Wow. Of course, this is something that only affects the India readers, since most readers around the world are not aware of the historical relationship between these languages. Still, it is an intellectually nagging factor for the translator, and it's important not to allow this discomfort to color the actual translation. Yeah, just to, uh, what does he say? Um... Uh, the language of the colonial masters of earlier generations of Bengali speaking people is what he calls English. Yeah. So I just, I just thought that was interesting. Like it doesn't, like again, as a non Indian reader, no idea that that's yep. like, happening in the background, yep. but it's, we like translators notes cause we like to, to read about this kind of thing, like to get just a little tiny sliver of insight into the creative decisions that our beloved translators have to make. So yeah, it's cool. Cool. No, yeah, I dig it. I think um, I read uh, a review in the Journal of Literary Translation Exchanges by Vandana Nair, and mm-hmm. she kind of shouted out his work um, and said, and maybe you'll talk about this a little bit later, but did mention that like the greatest challenge was to find a voice in English for... Uh, the ghost, which we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. about what that is. Yes, that's that's the that's the thing you paragraph want to say. Okay, I'm going to read cool, cool, later. Cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but just like these characters for whom English is a is a perhaps a fraught language in the first place is like how do you even put their words into English is really yeah 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 sensitive stuff. All right, and it's interesting because the the story doesn't really get into any of the colonial sure. stuff okay. at all. Like it's it's from. A family that like used to be aristocratic, but has more recently fallen on hard times. And like by the time you're inhabiting a perspective, I think they're interacting with characters who would have like experienced colonialism firsthand, but maybe they themselves have not mm, sure. experienced yeah, yeah. much of it. So yeah, a lot of the stuff, like the the cast stuff and colonialism stuff that we've run up against when we've done other. Indian like works. historical fi- yeah historical fiction, yeah, yeah like I I'm I'm sure it is it is like burbling in a way in the background of this but it is not like overtly what the book's about so all right yeah just yeah just something to note well let's take a quick break and then you can tell me more about the book okay Andrew this week's episode is brought to you in part by Juliana Ray Nice Warner and her upcoming collection Eavesdrop. What's that? Tell me more. Well, it's a collection <laughs> uh, including a dozen short stories and one novella that invites readers to stand in the shadows and observe the private conversations of a varied cast of characters across time and geographical space. Ooh, I want to let me lurk and learn more about these people. I love to Just, lurk, like, hide in the corners under <laughs> chairs and observe their lives. The short stories come from Nice Warner's Conversations series, which look to parse the meaning and seemingly meaningless moments and capture the frust- frustrating fascination 
of catching pieces of strangers' conversations. Uh, the novella Family Dynamics and Good Medicine is set in England in 1927 and follows the weary Mrs. Higgins and her four children as they navigate life and misadventure with their father away in India. Huh. huh. Relevant. Mrs. Higgins is a good name for somebody in England in 1927. Amazing like I, I, could, I could imagine that person getting turned into a teapot, sure. <laughs> Uh, it was published through a new and thriving independent publisher, Hartsfield Press. Eavesdrop is available in print through Barnes and Noble, Amazon, and more on January 30th, and the ebook publication date is February 13th. Again, that is Eavesdrop by Juliana Ray Nice Warner. I alluded to it earlier. There is an ant. There is a ghost. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. They're one and the same, Craig. Oh. The ant is is the ghost. Oh no, <laughs> the ant's the ghost. Uh, so there, there's like there are two different ways to approach this book, and I think they're both valid. And I think, but I think you'll know the one that I kind of thought was funnier, and the one that I'm going to remember more. Okay, <laughs> is I'm going to read a bit. Uh, Kalpana Mohan has a has a Substack where she wrote about this book. Oh, I think I found that um, too. Yeah, following the I think following the NPR thing. Letters from everywhere. It's called. Yeah, she says uh, I found. I, I'm going to read a chunk of this yeah, just please. to give you some background i found the ant who wouldn't die most memorable for how it's unafraid to tackle women's issues with pishima's character mukapatai represents all those widows left behind by the wicked wicked hindu patriarchal system of yore whereby widowers could remarry but widows could not um Mukapatai's work celebrates three generations of women. By the time we reach the end, it's clear the youngest generation has all the choices that were never open to the two earlier generations. All three women possess a certain strength of character. Um, so yeah, it's, it's about a, it's a it's sort of, it's kind of an intergenerational story about three different generations of women who all kind of face different things, but also it's a story where an aunt who everybody hates dies and then comes back in a ghost and like asks you about how sex is because she never got to have any yes okay <laughs> and she like makes fun of your cooking and she's just always standing in the corner kind of telling you that she hopes that you get bit by a snake and die <laughs> so andrew grab the guitar because i'm ready here we go it is time for the first Three star Goodreads review of the episode. Of the episode, oh, there's going to be more. Three star Goodreads review. Isabel says, "This is the this is the this review is six words long." Ooh, good. Isabel says, "I liked the horny ghost ant." <laughs> That's only three stars. Yeah. <laughs> So tell me more about... I mean, I guess the implication is that she just didn't like the rest of it, but the horny ghost ant by herself was worth three stars. Yeah, which I can, maybe, I can see, uh, you I know, my delivery could be off. It could be like, hey, Isabel, how'd you feel about the book? And she's like, I like the horny ghost ant. I like the horny ghost ant. It's like when you go to see a play or something and you didn't like it, but then you somebody you know was in it and then you they ask you... What you liked about it after, and you have to come up with the one nice thing that you can think of. I was going to be even more generous and say you see a play and you're like, oh, I don't think it all, it all hangs together. But you know that one guy? Mm -hmm. That horny ghost That ant. one guy playing the oh. horny ghost ant. Yeah, he, he's going places. He's doing a good job. So tell me more about the horny ghost ant mm -hmm. specifically. Um, so uh, this is Pashima. And there are a couple of... Um, 
a couple of different names used for multiple characters in this book sure. because you're using a lot of like some of them are just like honorifics yeah, and some okay. of them are like family titles and some of them are nicknames but most often she's Pashima. Um so she was married to someone like when she was 7 I think mm-hmm. and then this person she was married to died when she was 11 or 12. Oh. And because because of the thing I just mentioned like because of society Thanks, society. You you did it again. <laughs> Great. Um, she is not allowed to uh, remarry ever again. She's she's not allowed to um, to seek any sort of like physical affection from any man. She's just kind of expected to mourn for the entire rest of her life. And this is you may be surprised to know this has made her kind of bitter and hard to be around. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Can't yeah. imagine why. Mm-hmm. Uh, to to that point, did you you mentioned the the honorifics? I think that are a lot of those like in Bengali or you know, I, cause yeah, yeah. A lot of them are, are kind of italicized. Like you'll get different things for like you know heads of households or or like uncles or or whatever. Okay, yeah. That um, that review of the that mentioned mostly the translator's work did talk about like the way that the inclusion of the Bengali words kind of just reinforces the world that they're in. And mm-hmm. reinforces the relationships that they have to each other in particular, mm-hmm. um, where it, with a lot of translated work we've talked about, it's like there are certain things where it's like not worth coming up with a different term for it. Like let it does. I mean, it does raise some questions sometimes. Sure. Like in Star Trek when <laughs> okay. everybody's speaking with a universal translator all the time. Yeah. So you assume you assume that Klingons are generally always speaking Klingon as being translated, but then sometimes they can say just Klingon words and they don't get translated. <laughs> so how's that work? It's it's got a little bit of Star Trek universal translatoritis, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's but it's academic. but no, I, I <laughs> we've read plenty of of works like translated or just like taking place in another culture or otherwise yeah. that have that have used. Useful. snippets of of other languages to like add depth and color and stuff yeah. to the world so yeah okay it's cool so um, she is she is a tough lady to be around because of society and and what it has wrought on her yeah and so so we are th- this is split up into two or four parts uh split between two characters Great. so um Samlata is the like the middle generation and then uh boshan is the, the younger generation, okay, yes. And so it, it it starts with Somlata. So she's married into this family, used to be aristocratic, but has fallen on hard times because none of them know how to work. Great. And for a long time, they're just kind of selling land and living off the proceeds. But that that source of largesse is running out. A good old what is a weekend sort of behavior, yes. Like, what is working? Wait, what? Well, that's a thing oh, from okay. Downton Abbey, which is my main reference for aristocrats falling on hard times. I see. Yeah. All right. Continue. Um, sure. Uh, so it's against this backdrop. We kind of learn a little bit about Pashima, who Somlata is just kind of terrified of and doesn't like to talk about. She's feeling very like lonely and isolated in this family, but she was a little she, she comes from less money like oh, okay. she she was she, impoverished yeah and then she's married into this family and just because they're running out of money doesn't think they doesn't mean they don't like think of themselves as aristocrats and like better than everybody so yeah that's the point <laughs> yeah um 
And so she's she's kind of feeling isolated. Everybody sort of looks down on her and she could go up on the roof of this house they live in and like maybe see some of the other women up on the roofs and like talk with them and find some companionship that way. But to do that, she would have to pass in front of Pashima's rooms as she doesn't want to oh. do that because she doesn't want to deal with Oh no. <laughs> she doesn't want to get hassled. <laughs> uh, but she decides she's going to go up there one day and as she, she's passing Pashima's room. She looks in there and just realizes that Pashima is dead. <laughs> when was the last time anybody was in there? I don't know how recently it was. Oh no. But, but she's died. She's died pretty recently. And, but then suddenly Pashima, I don't remember in this instance if she is like a, a separate entity that's like an apparition who comes in or if her body just kind of reanimates in a way. And I think it's her disembodied voice. It, like uh, Samlata starts hearing it in her head and the voice is like, hey, in this in this drawer, I have a big box of jewelry. It's worth a bunch of money. You have to take it out of here so nobody in the family can find <laughs> it. <laughs> and Samlata does that. Okay. And she gets seen by like another member of the family and suspicion is like, she knows that suspicion is going to start falling on her. But this other member of the family is like suddenly struck with something where she can't talk anymore. What? And it becomes clear that this like ghost of this aunt is just kind of like hanging around and like cursing people. Oh my God. (laughs) So yeah, she just kind of starts appearing randomly as like, as this, sort of white dressed in white figure who's always sort of just out of out of eyeshot yes and she starts talking to some lada and like she doesn't want the jewelry to be found but also she still like hates some lada and isn't being like nice to her or anything it's definitely not like a benevolent <laughs> ghost situation. is she only appearing to and talking with some lada though yes okay okay as far as we know oh, sure great um and so, and and this this first part of the book ends with Samlada cooking something for the family, and and Pishima just shows up and is like, "Hey, you forgot to put salt in that." And so she puts more salt in it, but she had already put salt in it, and so the dinner is ruined, yes. and nobody in the family can eat any of the food. <laughs> and the that that part of the story ends with just the ghost trolling at, <laughs> trolling Samlada and making a ruined dinner. <laughs> Pishima rules, I guess. Does she like, rule? Kind of- it's I don't to say that she rules it is she is pretty like is there a is, guitar electric is, guitar playing in the background whenever no, she does it's, stuff? it's 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 the only thing that kind of keeps me from being like yeah she's she's kicking everybody's butt <laughs> she don't take no guff from nobody sure is that she is bitter partly because she had horrible life yeah of and course so, <laughs> like it is it is very funny when she goes around and does this stuff because it's just so over the top and and that's part of what the translator's note talks about. Um, Great, this is Sina saying uh, probably the greatest challenge in translating the ant who wouldn't die was to find a voice in English for the ghost of Pashima, the dead ant. In the patriarchal tradition-bound joint family in which she spent her living years, anything like a feminist spirit would have been crushed ruthlessly. She had to die in order to acquire some agency and significantly influence events in the family. In death, she acquires a profane tongue and a delightful lack of hesitation in using it. And so the translation had to capture her intent and spontaneity in deploying swear words and her distinctly vengeful hostility toward the rest of the family while keeping her character constant after death. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I guess I guess I when I say that it sounds like she rules is that there is just a 
probably just because she's a ghost. She's not bound by mores. She's not, you know, she's not being the Joker, but she is like, you know, she's irreverent. She is. Uh, she's Deadpool. She, she's more Deadpool than Joker, I think, is what it sounds like to me, the man who did not read the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds like, doesn't sound like she knows I she's mean, in a book, but. You didn't read the book. I haven't actually seen Deadpool. <laughs> I've just seen a bunch of tra- trailers for it. So, like, I think together we can. You know that Deadpool knows he's in a movie, right? I do, yes, I know that okay. about Deadpool, and that he like showing his butt and like being being funny and random and breaking the fourth wall all the time. Yeah, he, I know that about. Deadpool. He knows you're eating popcorn is what mm-hmm. his deal yeah. is. Yeah, that's funny. Um, like, what if the movie character in the movie turned to you and was like, "Hey, idiot, what do you think about this? <laughs> what do you think about this stupid stuff?" I mean, Deadpool makes a lot of money. That's all. I know. That's all I have. Yeah. To, people, more money than I'll ever make. It. So part two shifts to uh, Boshan, who is a, a, an entirely separate person, and you do spend, uh, in my experience, the, the, the significant portion of this book being like, where'd the dead cool ghost ant go? Okay. <laughs> and my- like, maybe that's the source of <laughs> some of the three star reviews is you just get a, you get a little taste of, of ghost, like vengeful, wrathful, uh, irreverent ghost ant. And then the book kicks you out to another thing that, and it's not apparent how they tie together for, oh. for a good chunk of the, the book. Are they all yeah. happening? Is Boshan's, when I hear intergenerational narrative, sometimes my I'm expecting something to happen on multiple timelines. Is it all happening in the same time? It's just we're shifting perspective to Boshan, or no? What? You f- you find out that this is this is later, and okay. Boshan actually is is Somlana's daughter. Oh, okay, great. Yes, um, I wasn't sure what the ages get- were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if it, if it were a, a book about like American culture, I'm sure that there would be some like reference to like Nerf guns or something that would <laughs> that would place you in time. I think the main thing that places you in time here is that Boshan is is going to school with a bunch of of other girls, and she's talking yeah. about how uh, women woman and man are supposed to complement each other. I don't agree. I feel I will get by without a man. I walked into the distance holding hands with loneliness, my best friend. I walk a lonely road, <laughs> only road the Boshan's ever known. Yes, mm-hmm. okay. So I'm on I am on the I you I don't know much about Samlada right now, but mm-hmm. I am on board with uh Shima and Boshan. <laughs> they both sound pretty cool to me. Well, I think like a lot of some of some of Boshan's coolness doesn't come out until a little bit later but you do yeah you do get that she's like you know, she she doesn't have to really consider as much yeah what and she she thinks about men she thinks about marriage there's one man who is is very he's he's very withdrawn and kind of an academic sort of guy who she feels like doesn't really notice her and she sends him a note and he never responds and in fact goes out of his way to avoid seeing her or walking by their house anymore. And she gets really like bitter and insulted about Mm. it, even though it comes out later that he's just kind of, uh, doesn't know how to, how to handle it and has been thinking about her this whole time. And is going to come back later and like try to show his interest in her. Cause she, he's been like thinking about her this whole time, but yeah, like it's, she gets kind of burned by this guy and her, her response is, you know, she, she does get, very hurt by it and it does like she does say how it like alters the course of the rest of her life but the way it does that is mostly just to reinforce her i don't need men whatever yeah sure okay mm-hmm. uh, 
And then, and she just says stuff like, I'm certain I'll be a ghost when I die. I'll haunt the world's remotest mountains and forests and sand beaches. I'll burst into laughter when the storm breaks. I'll drench myself in the rain. I will never be born as a woman again. There are other parts of the book where she expresses like, she does like being a woman. Yeah. She, she doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and that's like part of, I think the feminist bent that people yeah, talk sure, about. Sure. Uh, but yeah, mostly it's just like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need any of this, whatever. Yeah. I'm I'm a cool girl. Okay, then we're back to Samlada. <laughs> so and, okay, and so this, like what is Samlada's overarching like what is she up to in the book? This, this is where you get to that. Great. Okay. Thank is you. I think this is probably like the biggest chunk of the book is part three, like the second Samlada part, because this is where you get the ant just continuing to berate her and follow her around. But Samlada not really like kowtowing to her or yeah. listening to her yeah. like when it, whenever it, it becomes clear pretty quickly uh when pashima is talking about like oh in two months your husband's gonna die oh you're gonna have a baby and it's gonna miscarry oh you're gonna get leprosy and you're die you're gonna die you're all gonna die you should just burn this house down with everybody in it <laughs> i want your husband to die your child not to be born you to be a widow and then i want you to die too i want everyone to die let the world be destroyed let every home be set on fire <laughs> oh my god when you're like me, you'll know there's no happiness unless the entire world turns to ashes. So is she more she might Deadpool be more Joker than Joker? Than Deadpool. She's both Joker Pool. <laughs> Dead cur. Have you ever been to the Joker Pool? It's the pool that they used for the movie The Joker. Got a Wikipedia page. <laughs> the Joker Pool. This is a joke about the Wikipedia article for the Joker stories. Now, they're, go, now go they are making that second mm-hmm. Joker movie that's gonna have Lady Gaga in it and is gonna have like musical numbers. I think is it gonna have because diff- gonna have different stairs. Well, it might have a pool. Stairs? Is what I'm saying. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, could have a pool. We'll have to go see it. No, we don't have to do that. <laughs> We don't, have to, we don't have to support the Joker industrial complex. <laughs> uh, but she's still uh, uh, then and she, and so uh, Somlada is see is seeing the signs of of this family's like slide into poverty become more acute. Okay, and she quietly kind of decides like in the face of of Pashima's like haranguing her about everything um she starts to like she, and, and she's not doing this because of anything she's kind of doing it in the face of everything yep. like she she's kind of being calm and and staying her course in spite of everybody in the family sort of looking down on her and her having to like win them over sort of one by one there's one passage where she talks about kind of her uh her is she pretty ethos. so she's pretty recently married into the family is that the thing she, so she at the at, in book one she had like just married okay. into the okay. family um and this is you know this is this is tracking over the next couple of years i think like this is a pretty good chunk of book um uh i didn't so she's so she's talking to someone i i didn't know what to say most people are in the habit of saying unnecessary things even when there is nothing to be said i don't have that habit i never speak when there is no need to this time too i didn't try to defend myself or allay her suspicion i knew she wouldn't believe me no matter what i said so she's very like the way she influences people and kind of uses her power is to be is just to to be quiet and bide her time and try to like act strategically i guess basically like 
sort of bending but not breaking and and guiding people in that way and like slowly winning over most of them. So she tells her husband things are things are getting things are going to get bad. Like their dog, your your dad and his uncle are talking about this parcel of land and in uh, Pakistan or something that they're going to try and sell and then money will come in from that and then they'll be fine. But like, even if that does happen, which it has not yet, Mm. (laughs) you know, that's the, the, there's not that, that much left of that to, to go on. And so she prevails upon him to open a shop, which he is pretty bad at. (laughs) Um, Pashima tells, uh, some Lada that her husband is like seeing another woman behind her back. And she like, confronts him and says listen do what you need to you just got to tell me about it whoa and that like and that that's kind of key to what she does she doesn't try to like browbeat people she doesn't try to like push them into doing stuff like she knows that if she like if she acts this way it will be a greater deterrent to him Stepping out and also yep. like being in awe of her yep. than yep. her like berating him ever would like that. That's how her. So that that's that's the, I guess the interesting bridge between my husband died when I was eleven. I have to be a widow forever, and I don't need men. I can do what I want. It's just like <laughs> trying to realize what your like soft power is. I guess it doesn't and, and sound like use it as best you can. It you doesn't know? sound like she's quite trying to like manipulate people it sounds like no it's not it's not it's not manipulation because she does have the interests of the of the family yeah and her husband at heart like she's really very devoted to him in in a lot of ways Sounds like her main tactic is to like what can she do to avoid putting people on the defensive Mm -hmm. and then kind of you know Tori adoring like you know bullfight dancing them from there like not yeah that, that's a little bit how it is so they they start the shop it doesn't go well at first but then she starts kind of going in with him and like they they form a, a tighter bond and she is like she is pushing him to do things that he wouldn't have done before and she's staying on top of him because all the men in this family have a tendency to laziness because they've never had to work a day in their <laughs> lives sure but eventually things start going really well like her father-in-law comes in and starts trying to trying to change stuff up and like write little ones on the price tags in front of everything to, to make everything cost like 150 bucks instead of, instead of 50 bucks. (laughs) And she just kind of prevails. She, it's she and, and her husband both sort of talk him down from what he's doing and are like, Hey, you know, th- these people have 10 other shops they could go to, but you do not have like 10 other customers who you can fleece. Like if you mm. if you steal from one person, they're going to tell people and pretty soon your reputation is going to be in the gutter. And they, they actually manage to like make people listen to them. And he like comes in and helps with the shop, but he's actually and, and he starts like running ideas by some Lada and she will like she, she knows how to make him feel heard, but also like talk him down from things that are kind of stupid. Yep. Good, good. <laughs> and the shops, the, and they eventually buy another one. Um, the second one is partly to like help. I think her husband's uncle, like save face, like bring more of the family into the, into, into the, the business. Fold. Yeah. And it's not like, not with the goal of, of indebting them to her nope. though. By the time Boshan is, is born, it's like a known like part of the family lore that she helped like turn everything around. And she's this like this strong, yeah, intimidating woman who, who 
Beauchamp couldn't hope to to like match. She feels a little a little intimidated and inferior to her sometimes. Which is a fun thing for Beauchamp to feel when you, the reader, have spent time with a Samlada who like isn't quite there yet, right? And maybe is never actually like acting as that type of matriarch. Yeah, or or like yeah, she she's she's done very well within the the framework of like the society that she had to, to yeah, live in. But yeah. she did still like she did still have to make she, she did still have to get married to some guy who was like ten years older than her and like figure out a way to engineer a turnaround for this family, <laughs> even though they fought her every step of the way yeah, about it. Sure. And she had a ghost <laughs> yelling in her ear the whole time. Yeah, she's had a ghost yelling at her the whole time. Huh. And so this book ends with Samlada and her husband having sex and the like Pashima or like some disembodied voice is sort of yelling the whole time that it's happening. <laughs> and then Boshan is born and the ghost is gone. Whoa. And the, and the strong implication is that Boshan is like the, the reincarnation of, of Pashima. Okay. Which is kind of, which is kind of neat. And the book, the book ends before that can really be followed through to yeah any kind of of big conclusion um my my read of it is that the guy who sort of broke Boshan's heart is also the reincarnation of the guy oh. who like died before Ooh. and because because he I like that this is this this guy's sister when did you start liking Boshan Dada just says you won't you won't understand she has a score to settle with me and this is even though we've never seen these two characters like directly speak. Huh. But like it is said that she that Boshan looks just like Pashima. Pashima did when when Pashima was her age. And so it's I I that's that's the way I am reading that, I dig which it. is kind of neat. Um By the time you get to the end of the book, like has what has been the for has there been a conclusion to whatever Boshan is up to? Like what what is the last you get of you know, Boshan, the woman that you've met before, before the book ends, and it's like, oh, the baby's here. Does like, does her plot have a resolution, or is it just like Boshan's out there living her life? I mean, the book just kind of ends with um, uh, there's some footsteps coming up. Her, so she is, she is. When Pashima died, nobody wanted to move into her like suite of rooms yeah. that was on the on the upper floor of this yeah, house. Yeah. But then Boshan is born oh, and doesn't like care. And then she, well, it's not, they put her somewhere. She like demands to live in these rooms. <laughs> oh, okay. And Samlada like digs out the big box of jewelry and says, Hey, do you remember, do you remember this box of jewelry? And Boshan's like, no, what are you talking about? Whoa. <laughs> and Samlada's like, Oh, your, your, uh, like great aunt wanted, wanted you to have this. And Boshan's like, this thinks to herself, Oh, this is kind of weird. Like this, this woman didn't even know that I was, Huh. And be born, and she wanted me to have this jewelry. That's weird. So, like, Samlada knows what's going on. Yeah, but Boshan doesn't. It's not like she is remember remembering snippets of her past life, except maybe through like instinct okay. or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the the book ends with like unfamiliar footsteps coming up to her room, like her set of rooms on this top floor, and it's have it's strongly implied to be this guy who's she's kind of been. Uh, who, who sort of burned her, but now is trying to show interest in her. Um, and it, it just ends with, I jumped up from my desk and ran deep into my room. I stood silently in the dark. My eyes were flowing with tears. The footsteps had stopped at my doorstep. The constant wailing in my heart had disappeared somewhere. Um, 
Huh. And that's and that's kind of it. Like it ends before there's really any kind of like cap or resolution to to her deal. It's just like she is she is a free spirit. She feels different from her mom. She's a reincarnation of this ghost aunt, and that's kind of the deal. <laughs> Let me hit you with my other Goodreads reviews then. Okay, fine. Re- and then we and then I guess that can be it. Yeah, well, yeah, I think so. Risha says yeah. the translation is excellent. Four stars for that. Risha is like doing math during this review. Um, there's a lot. This is there's maybe one day we need to do a bonus episode that's just about like types of Goodreads yep. people because it's like yeah, here are the people who are going to break it out in the sub scores. Here are the people who are writing in characters. Their cat. Here are people who have the voice of like a, a morning zoo DJ yep. who just like knows that people are tuning in and they have like a bit to do and they're going to do it. There is know? a, there is a bit from an old episode of third rock from the sun, older than oh my, my usual references Wow, where yeah, John that's... Lithgow, who is an alien in John Lithgow's body is at a restaurant <laughs> and he tells the waiter, he puts like $20 in ones on the table and like tells the waiter, like during my lunch, I will add or subtract dollars from this stack for your tip mm-hmm. based on how uh-huh. well the lunch goes. And that is what Reach is doing here. So mm-hmm. the translation is excellent. Four stars for that. The story is fascinating. Four stars for that, too. But I took away two stars because the novel ends in such a dissatisfying manner and turns all a lot of people mention the after yeah, a brilliant premise. A mm-hmm. um, and then Mora says, I was a bit underwhelmed. I'd expected... I had expected the novella format to mean this one would be punchy and impactful. Instead, it left me wishing for more of a resolution. An ambiguous ending is one thing, but this was more of an abrupt stop. Uh, I was also more interested in one of the perspectives than the other. Um, the supernatural elements were interesting, and I enjoyed Beauchamp's sections a lot. I'm curious to read more of his translated works to see how he writes in a longer format. So that's kind of a bridge to... It sounds like you enjoy the ending just fine, but just like... What do you like in, in, enjoy is you thought I don't it worked. Know if it, it it's not that I thought it worked. It's just I wasn't bothered that it didn't keep going. So, okay, so much like just because I came up with my own headcanon for yeah, what was sure. happening, and then I it's I can kind of imagine what it's happens next. after that, yeah. and I don't need to. But yeah, if if you want things to be a little bit more spelled out, then yeah, I can. I read. I don't remember if it was. It might have been like a comment actually to one of the. One of the like, the like review independent or the like blog review. reviews yeah. or something. Yeah, I was talking about somebody who read the e edition of this book and turned the page and discovered that they were done and was like, "Wait, what? Did I <laughs> is something wrong with my like a real Sopranos ending sure. situation? Like, yeah. did I <laughs> is this how it's supposed to be, or is my copy defective or missing something in some way? Did you feel it was a like successful novella? I was certainly surprised to hear that it was this like kind of intergenerational story that is not something I expect from a shorter text. Like, did you think well, those- a shorter text that's named like a mystery science theater movie, <laughs> like the ant who would die. Like <laughs> Do you think the length um, worked? I, 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 it, that's, that's a loaded question because I am reading to make content. And so a short book that I can fair talk enough about for an hour. Sometimes I am more like, like watching a, a, half hour show instead of an hour long show these days. Like sometimes I'm just glad for something to be short cause it's easier to make time for it. Fair enough. <laughs> but to answer your, your question about the, the content of the book, like obviously there's stuff that struck me and stuck with me. I, I did. I do feel like to really 
to appreciate the like intergenerational feminist part of it more, I did need to read, like digest some other perspectives. Not that that stuff didn't come through in the work, but my, but like part of the reason why I opened like the, the talking about the book section of the show with somebody else's quote is like my thoughts about that part of it were more, a little more scattered just because I like there, there's not as much to really like form an opinion about that might be Um, what people are talking about when they're like, "Mm, it's slimmer than I want it to be given what it's engaging with. And yeah. And I just like, it, 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 it's got a couple really neat hooks. Yep. And the ending is sort of abrupt and it feels like both of these characters are rich enough to support more of something. Yep. Yep. And so maybe that's what the three starness of it comes from. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, but I mean, like, I, I, I did enjoy it. It was a fun read. I, especially for a book that I just kind of found out of out of nowhere and didn't know anything about. Like, yep. it's 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 fun to read a gem that can introduce horny, vengeful ghost ant to you as like a character <laughs> archetype. And yet also have like a compelling other character that is yeah, not a yeah, horny yeah, yeah. ghost. Yeah, it just doesn't get it doesn't get totally overridden or like, like she's not the Urkel of the book kind of breaking out of it and leaving the other characters in the dust. Maybe that's why like he didn't make it, it longer. Mm-hmm. Is like he maybe maybe he had a longer draft and Pashima threatened to Urkel all over the place. It was in 1993. Like he could be aware of what happened on Family Matters. When did when did I'm Urkel come it up out? right now? I think he was like a late 80s thing. Family Matters started in 1989. It's, of course, a spinoff of Perfect Strangers. Right, yeah. So so he... (laughs) The thought I'm having is so stupid, I don't even know if I can Go ahead, please. (laughs) Mukapatai, like, he had the opportunity to learn the lesson of Family Matters. I don't know if it aired in (laughs) India and was, like, translated. Sure. Or if he knows English or, or what, but like he knows what happens when a breakout character takes over a show. Yeah, and he, he does. Just didn't want it to happen to his book. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. I think so. I mean, by by 1993, when this book comes out, we've already like Urkel has taken over the show. I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that does not take a lot of time. Yeah. I don't think. I don't know if he built the Urkel bot by 1993, but he probably like, had that Urkel car by like season two, right? I'm sure Stefan Urkel showed oh my up. God, <laughs> I wa- somebody was sharing a video of them doing the Urkel the other day. I had not watched mm-hmm. the do the Urkel clip in you a long time. You hadn't watched anybody do the Urkel? Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. <sighs> the 90s. The 90s. What a, what an amazing time. Anyway, that's the book. Yeah. It, it was, I enjoyed it. It's a sh- short read. doesn't take a lot of time. And I think you'll really like the Horny Ghost Ant. Just like Isabel. Just like Andrew. And I hope you I hope you liked listening to this podcast as much as we liked making it. We did like making it. <laughs> if you have thoughts Can we end all of our podcast can we put try to be happy away and just end all of our podcasts like a third grade book report? <laughs> <laughs> and in conclusion, give me an A. Mm-hmm. Uh did you get did I get A's in elementary school? I feel like we had a different report card in elementary school. Uh, I think it was, for it was us it was of, always the letter grades. It was a lot of like satisfactories and excellence. Everything is just like it's all just tears. Like it this It's like, like this it is, is tears when you get a a you know deficient and you start crying. You're right. Send us an email <laughs> at overduepod at gmail.com. Tell us your thoughts about the horny ghost ant. 
hit us up on social media at Overdue Pod or whatever version there is on Blue Sky. It's like Blueski dot social or whatever yeah, it is. Blueski dot yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're on Threads too. Blueski dot app. Blueski dot app. Sure. Yeah. Um, thanks to Aaron, Elizabeth, Casey, Becky, Jennifer, Debbie, Christian, and more for reaching out in the past week. A lot of folks responding to our recent drop of Stop Homer Time the Iliad episodes one and two on the main feed. So thank you for that. Our theme song is composed by Nick Larangis. Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where do they go? Overduepodcast.com <laughs> is the website <laughs> that we are at. Yeah. And we have the books that we have read and the ones that we are going to read. Craig, you want to read them the February? I can. Real quick. Yeah, we've got a theme for February. Sequelitis. Feb- February. Oh, excuse me. The theme for February is mm-hmm. Sequelitis. <laughs> <laughs> We're reading sequels to books we've read before. Um, so Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Network Effect, which is the first novel in the Murderbot Diary series by Martha Wells. We're going to be reading that third Percy Jackson book. Do not have the title in front of me, but it's the third one. It's like Percy Jackson and Jackson and the Sandals of Zeus or something. Like just yep. you can just kind of scat it. Yep. Do do some like mythological and the, scatting the and you'll clarinet get clarinet of Hephaestus. I'm sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then closing out the month with Jazz by Toni Morrison. Not quite a sequel as much as it's fitting into a trilogy of works by Toni Morrison, but I think that's a good choice. And then the thing I've heard about that book is that it's about the words you don't read. Jesus. Tune in at the end of February when Andrew makes that joke again, having forgotten that he's made it. I'll come up with another riff on it. Okay, great. Ooh, you're riffing like jazz. Like jazz. Um, And on on the day that this episode drops, we are still running our Patreon choice patrons choice poll for February. (laughs) The Patreon choice patrons choice poll. For February, February. Choose a bonus episode for February. We've got a Nancy Drew book, a Hardy Boys book, an Encyclopedia Brown book. We have covered all of those, but I found sequels to each of them that sound interesting. Uh, Go to patreon.com slash overdue pod very quickly if you would like to vote on that or go there whenever um, if you would like to join us for that bonus recording at the end of February. Is that it, Andrew? Anything else? Uh, patreon.com slash yep, pod. Usually I say that. I think it's probably implied by the discussion about the Patreon choice, patrons choice, but that's our Patreon project. Support us. We buy equipment and all kinds of other things we use that money for. All kinds. All kinds of other things. Um, and we enjoy your support a lot and it really helps us make, the, it helps us keep making the show yep. and it, it's just good. It's great. Thank you. Yeah. We got a cool Patreon right, community. It's nice. Yeah, it's fun. Discord, yeah, the Patreon dis- Discord, good place. Talk about you. Talk about your Baldur's Gate three OC- <laughs> like OCs. <laughs> Come on in, the water's fine. <laughs> All right, everybody, thank you for listening for another week. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. Was a headgum podcast.